You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Ritwik the host for this show and I'm joined by my co-host Chris for this episode like usual. Welcome Chris. <laughs> Glad to be here as usual. Yeah. Looking and forward this... to this. Re- looking really looking forward to this one. Some really good uh, Patreon questions. Yeah. This episode is dedicated to our patrons who send us some questions. This is going to be patron special podcast. I mean there are some really good questions that they've sent uh, to us and we'll be discussing that in depth as well. We start with our patron Dieter van Gogh's question on Chelsea's transfers. So they've signed Hakim Ziyech from Ajax, Timo Werner from Leipzig. They've signed Thiago Silva from PSG on a free, a big signing again. They are close to sign Ning Kai Havertz, a generational talent, and who else have they signed? I I, I just kind of forgot. Okay, Ben Chilwell again from Leicester ben City. Chilwell, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I seem to forget who they signed because <laughs> every day you yeah. see new players getting announced. And Malang Star again, another young centre back on a free, which is a really good deal. I I've heard that that he might get loaned out for this season, but he's a really promising centre back as well. So. Chelsea last season under Frank Lampard I mean none of us expected them to probably finish in the top 4 I mean obviously it was the odds were stacked up against him but he overachieved I would say a bit and finished in the top 4 again a Champions League place and this summer he is going out full in full force to get the players that he wants He's buying young players apart from Thiago Silva of course who who I think Thiago Silva's case is also different but It's really good isn't it Chris? Oh for Chelsea fans it must be fantastic. I mean the club itself obviously given with the transfer ban they seem to have been operating that very well. Uh, uh, and like you said they I don't know if, I mean some people might call it might not call it an overachievement what Frank Lampard did last season especially given on the Sarri they finished one place better and they actually they actually won a trophy as well so there might be some Chelsea fans that don't think it was actually an improvement. But given the Chelsea, uh, given the the transfer ban, given how well he developed youth, um, and he, he's he's used that as a platform to build on, and now given the signings that are coming in, uh, that have come in and are coming in, then it must be a great time to be Chelsea or support that club at the moment. Yeah, and I mean the key area that they needed to strengthen was the defense, including the goalkeeper position. But the yeah. players that they've added so far are all attacking. I mean, I, apart from Ben Chilwell and uh, Thiago Silva, obviously. But uh, you look at the attacking players that they've added: Hakim Ziyech from Ajax, who's like, I mean, I I still don't understand sometimes why he wasn't signed by anyone else in the last two summers because he's a really good player. Timo yeah. Werner, who who had like his best season ever. in the bundesliga last season under nagelsmann was heavily linked with liverpool and i will happily admit that it, it this definitely is a signing that got away from us i mean before he has even kicked the ball obviously but yeah he's a really good signing again because tammy abraham had too much pressure although he started well last season he kind of had a bad run of form and yeah. he really needed a number a kind of a striker yeah and they got Timo Werner and when you come I mean Kai Havertz is probably again so close I mean it's just a matter of when right now I guess Chelsea might definitely go ahead and match the fee but Kai Havertz again generational talent so all young players up front Chris from attacking perspective do you see Chelsea probably becoming probably the top 3 attacking side in the league uh, I mean right I'll, I'll break this down individually I mean the transfers are fantastic uh, 
I think Timo Werner is actually a massive coup for the club because I don't think anyone expected that. If someone would have said in January or, or sorry, at the beginning of the season or even in January, Chelsea are going to swoop in and get him and he will be playing for the club uh, come August, come September, then I don't think anyone, anyone would have predicted that he ended up with Chelsea. Um, again, if they get the Kai Havertz deal, I think that even sort of pips that as a massive coup as well. Uh, the, the Zayac deal the only thing I agree with you I can't given the fact that he had a, a minimum fee release clause I can't understand why no one's tried to get him over the last two years the only thing that I can think of is that maybe from his point of view he's been quite clever along with his representatives and, and waiting for the right opportunity uh, or the right club obviously only only his agents and himself will be able to know the inner details of that I'm still a little bit curious uh, I think Woody would be a bit too harsh uh, too harsh of a way because I'm not actually a Chelsea fan but I'm a little bit curious to see how Frank Lampard balances team balances his team with these players as you know anyone that is watching German football this year Kai Havertz has been playing in the, the false nine role so they say or the he's like a he's like a false nine and a false ten in many ways so how he fits in with Timo Werner will be very interesting uh, you would fully expect uh, Zayac to play wide right in either whether he plays a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 yeah uh, Thiago Silva I still think they might need m- maybe another centre-half to come in uh, the bench well deal is I think financially is a good deal for them uh, up and coming probably will be England's number one left back for the, for the next couple of years at least and it'll be interesting to see whether they do uh, what they do in the goalkeeper situation I think they definitely need to invest in a goalkeeper think even the most staunchest of Chelsea fans would say he wasn't good enough last year and if the club is as ruthless in the transfer market then he, I, I can't see him being number one uh, come the first game of the season but yeah great time to be Chelsea fan from a ta- certainly from an attacking point of view you can't I can't see them failing to score goals but it will it, it will be intriguing to see what what formation and what what how he approaches it, Frank Lampard. Because I think one of the one one of the issues with last season is, and I'm sure you will agree with it. It seemed to seem to be like Chelsea stuttered a little bit into fourth place in the end. I know at one point it was looking like they were nailed on to finish third, but then they, then they started slipping up, and there was that uh, apparent inconsistency, getting beat by teams they shouldn't have, shouldn't have got beat by West Ham, for example. So it, sometimes it, if I had to be critical of Lampard, even though I think he'd done a fantastic job, I really do under the circumstances he come in and the way he approached the job, I thought it was a breath of fresh air. I thought one of the, his criticisms will be maybe he, he didn't have a clear identity of how he wanted to play and that's shown in certain games. So given the influx of these players, you would hope that he, he, he knows what he's doing. So it will be interesting though how he keeps the balance of the team and whether, he, for example, he plays Havertz and Timo Werner together exactly. again. That's a, yeah, that's that, assuming the Havertz deal gets gets done, of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think it's more or less like I mean, it's very likely that uh, that particular deal will get done before because we have another big month before the transfer window gets closed in England. I think it was it's October yeah. six or fifteen. I, I don't remember. I guess so. Yeah. We have sufficient well, think, time for that. Yeah, I think one of the most comforting things 
would be supporting Chelsea at the moment is, and I'm sure you may be this a little bit frustration from a Liverpool fan or from anyone. The way they handle the transfer business is fantastic. I, whoever they want, they always get. Yeah, I can't really remember. There can't be that many players over the years where Chelsea have, have not got someone that they wanted. Uh, I spent, certainly this summer, everyone they seem to be going in for or getting linked with. The, the, the club are wrapping up the transfer deal deals uh, in a matter of time afterwards. I mean, it must be refreshing from a fan's point of view. They, they pick up a paper, they see Chelsea linked with them, and in 48 hours, the deal's agreed. It's like, well, f- all you can do is applaud it, really. To what it, whoever's responsible uh, for those transfers must be uh, must be taking plenty of plaudits for that because they deserve it. Yeah, one of the one of the person who's involved in that is a woman, Marina. Yeah. Who's yeah. Like, who's, who's like the powerful force? I mean, she is like probably one of the most powerful. Women in the sports or in the football industry because her pull is amazing. The way she gets her deals done is also amazing. So that's that's really good. I mean, for Chelsea yeah. and for for anyone who's working in the industry as well. So that's great to see. And the defense as well, like you said, Chris Ben Chilwell for 50 million, the same fee that was probably spent by Manchester United to get Aaron Van Bissaka. Yeah. Almost the same fee that was spent to get Kyle Walker and Manchester City spent uh, 50 yeah. million to get Kyle Walker. Benjamin Mendy costs the same as well. So yeah. it's a really good deal because Chilwell is still young. And considering the fact that Ashley Cole recommended Lampard to get Chilwell, it, it, it's probably another value. Uh, put, I mean, it's another point that probably should be taken into consideration because Ashley Cole, I, I don't think he would actually bluff, definitely. And I mean, he might yeah. have seen something and that that's probably why he probably persuaded Lampard to go after Chilwell. So that's again a good deal. As for Thiago Silva, he's 35, yes, but he's still that same leader. He's still the same organizer. And that that that's the kind of figure Chelsea actually need in their dressing room. So that's something yeah. I, I, I felt it was lacking last season. So with Thiago Silva, although if, if he doesn't play every single game, you get that particular figure in the dressing room, which is like very important. It's very, very important. And yeah. as for the goalkeepers... Kepa, I know obviously I, I they they are actually linked with the Ron keeper uh, Edward Mendy, who's who's uh, who's who's good. I would say I guess he's like better than Kepa, obviously. And yeah. if, if they get that deal done again, I think majority of their business is done and dusted. I mean, considering yeah. they get Kai Havertz as well, so it's it's kind of a ten out of ten transfer window for Chelsea. It's it's definitely one of the best transfer windows from a club that I've seen since I've started watching football. So yeah, yeah, you could, so that, yeah, you could, you could definitely like. I agree with you 100% uh, with that. I mean, the keeper, the keeper situation is a tricky one to be in. Especially, it will be interesting to see what they do as a club because, I mean, I, I still think Kepa's a good keeper. Do you know what I mean? Or potentially, he could be a, a really outstanding keeper. I under, I understand why Sally wanted him. As shocked as it was that he went out and spent the money they did, but that's just because they were doing business with Bill Bow. That's how they operate. You either pay their f- minimum fee uh, release clause for their players or you don't. They, they, ju- they just don't enter into no- negotiations which is credit to Bilbao and the way they, they do their business but I was quite shocked that Chelsea went out and invested the money that he did straight away maybe maybe they went in a little blind, a bit blindsided with that transfer deal and, and and that's the big thing with them now over his head and, and the club and how they do that because they've got that fee hanging over over him I think I think if it was anyone else they'd be like right budget they, they probably would have already bought another keeper and he'd happily keep uh, Kepa as the number two or at least have them duke it out between the two of them for, um, who, who, who vies it for the number one spot but because they've got that that 
that astronomical <laughs> transfer fee that they pay for him. I think they're caught in a little bit of two minds as to whether they want to go out and heavily invest in a goalkeeper, which they need to if he keeps his current form going, or they whether they actually work with him and try and make him better, but at the risk in itself because he did cost some points last season. Um, so we'll move on to the next question, which is again from Dieter on the VAR. I mean, he's just asked for the general concept of VAR. I mean, it's been done well in Germany. I mean, we've spoken about this a lot of times, but in England last season, it was, I, I don't think like VAR was a complete mess. People just make out that to be, but it's more or less like the referees sometimes say, okay, I think I've got this under control and they don't even consult with the VAR, but they don't even, I mean, sometimes you just feel that it's better if you just go and look at look at the TV monitor. Just just yeah. have a look. But they don't. They some. I I don't know if it's a matter of ego or what that is. But I don't think there's a problem with the VAR. I know obviously it could get better. The way things are implemented could get much better. And also some of the decisions from from VAR has been pretty bad, especially the offside line and all. Where I've heard like a lot of talks about the error line. Uh, the error margin and stuff like that when they draw the line. So yeah. And that's very valid from a technical point of view as well. Uh, when because it's all uh, it's all computer vision probably most probably I guess. But yeah, yeah, you have to take in consideration the error, uh, the, the small error margin as well. But okay, despite all those other controversies, I think it's it it more or less have to do with the referees' incompetence or it's it's more or less like the referees are pretty much incompetent and that's why we did not see any english referee in the world cup yeah um, i mean wh- wh- where do you start with var i mean especially i agree with you referee I, I think some of it is some especially in this country i think some of it has been like oh let's just talk about var for the sake of talking about it and it has been publicised when it's not needed to be. Uh, but I mean, to answer Dieter's question, sort of what what do I think about it? Me personally, I mean, I agree with the concept of it. I think that's the best way of putting it. I agree with the concept of it. I think the way it's been used in this country has been completely wrong. I don't think we've done ourselves any favours with it at all, given the fact that we try to do it in our own way. I think the referees, instead of referring to using it as a referral system, they've relied on it. Um, Again, I don't know why. And From what what I gathered and what I read at the start of the season, I think it was the Premier League's decision to say to the referees, we don't want you using the monitors at the side of the pitch. I don't don't know what I don't know if that's 100% accurate or if there was a reason behind it. I don't know why, but for me, VAR now, they've made that much of a, a mess of it. It needs to be completely stripped back. And the way I would solve it, because I think I think most fans, or 90%, I, was, I sat on the fence largely when it came to technology being introduced into football. I thought the goal line technology was fantastic because you can actually be robbed of a goal there and then. I mean, when it came to offside decisions and penalty decisions, a referee should have given a penalty or referee or the linesman should have got that. Well, yeah, for example, if a player ran down the wing and he was offside and the linesman hasn't given it and then he crosses it in and someone scores, it's not solely... The reason that players score is not solely down to the referee, uh, the linesman not giving offside. I mean, you, you, as a, the opposition team can still stop that at that point. Same with a penalty. If a penalty is given when it shouldn't have been given, I mean, the keeper can still save it. So it, it's still human. It's just a human error. And sometimes, given, and, and I'm going a little bit off track here, so I will bring it back. Uh, so sometimes we, 
we as the uh, as the fan watching it at home have too many camera views, don't we? I'm sure you agree with that. Watching when you watch Liverpool or you uh, you watch another Premier League game, um, yeah, over in India, we we get the, we get the choice, don't we, of having 15 different camera views and Sky and BT yeah. and being sports or saying, but what about this view? What about this view? And they never ever show the view, if you notice, from the keeper's view. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, yeah, the, exactly. re- the referee's view never gets shown first. And it's like, and, and and the amount of decisions where you go, okay, then, but from the referee's angle, that is a foul, or that isn't a foul, so you can understand it. So I never wanted the human element taking out the game. So that's when I sat on the fence when I, when, when people were saying introduce technology, but they've brought her in now. It seems to be, even though again, German fans will probably say, oh well, no, there's this decision that's been made wrong. Italian fans will be probably the same. They seem to have less less issues than it with us, and I think it, I think the monitors on the side of the pitch certainly help out with that. But I don't know whether you'd agree with this idea. If when I was thinking about this, for me, they need to strip this right back now and say, well, maybe they should have done this at the start and just say, right, we're going to introduce VAR step by step, season by season. But for the first season, we're just going to use it for offsides only. That's it. That's it. That's we're not we're not going to use it. If the referee hasn't given a foul up the pitch, then we're not going to bring it back to look at the foul if someone scores. If someone scores, it's a goal. We're only going to use VAR solely for offside. And then seeing what issues are raised from that. And if they mastered that then, and that all got figured out and they needed to make any changes, or then they'd go, right, well, next season, we'll use it for offside and for penalty decisions only. Whether it was a penalty, whether it was a dive, whether it was contact all that and if they master that and see what issues are that then they'll start going right well we'll use it if for two-footed tackles and see if it warranted the red card or not and I think they should have introduced it slowly like that step by step and I think that is also a way of solving the, the way it is at the minute because I think even the most knowledgeable of football fans at the moment just don't know where we stand with it and I know for me going the match certainly and being at the match sometimes you just haven't got a clue what's going on and I think that they're the taking the human element out of the game slowly and they're making it less enjoyable. I remember the, the Everton-Tottenham game, the one where Andre Gomez broke his leg. I mean, that decision itself was quite quick, but I mean, there was two penalty incidents that, for Everton. One for Elian Ball and one where Richarlison got brought down on the right-hand side. For me, it was a clear penalty, even even though I was sat at the opposite end of the pitch. And I think... I think you talk about eight to nine minutes to t- make both decisions. And you're sitting there as a fan. I remember Saturday on a day thinking, God, I've got a roast dinner to go home to here. It's getting ridiculous waiting for this. And it just so, you sort of switch off. You sort of, in it, by the time they get, you're not that bothered <laughs> whether you get the decision or not. And it was the same when uh, the, the Sigurdsson, the, sorry, the, Dav, the Calvert-Lewin goal in the Manchester United game. And it was in the last minute. They took that long to give it. You sort of like, you just want them to hurry up and make the decision regardless of what decision it is in the end. And I, I do think it's just been badly used in this country. But they would, they would be my ideas to strip it back and solve it and try and use it better going forward. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that because it, it probably can be taken step by step. But the problem here, again, is will the clubs agree to that? That that that's another topic or that's another another question yeah. that probably we can ask. But again, like you said, the way these guys take time and I think it was it the Manchester City Tottenham game. Uh, I mean the Mourinho Tottenham when after Mourinho got appointed the second game that is I guess where it took probably long time for was it City to get the penalty which they missed. 
Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it kind of took eight nine minutes, didn't it? Like because before the ball went out to play, and the referee then going up to the monitor and saying, "Okay, we're gonna go all the way back, and this is gonna be a penalty." Which I mean, again, it's kind of again ruining the rhythm of the game. So I, I well, think. Yeah, yeah. Again, like sorry to interrupt, but it's like are they using the monitors or not? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like so, some of them do, some of them don't. So it's like why are you. And it, that's never been explained because for me they've not not used them enough. For me they should be they, the the referee should be using the monitor. He's the one making the decision. I, I don't know. It's, again, we could we, we could keep a we could have a whole podcast on this ourselves, couldn't we? On uh, on the papers of VAR and what it actually stands for and how well it's been used. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's quite. I don't know what's that. What's confusion? VAR more more confusion. VAR or Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that that that's yeah. That, that's probably the correct analogy which you used there. I mean, both of them very very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just what what's the purpose? What what why is this going on? Do you need? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I I would. There has been some some circumstances, and I'm sure you'd agree, where people are saying people where. It is just people, the, fa- the the general football fan not understanding, not yeah. understanding it. Like for example, the Aston Villa Sheffield United game yeah. where the goal line technology didn't give didn't give the goal, and people are saying, well, why can't they just go to VAR? And it's like, well, that's not why VAR is there. So I, I actually I actually think it, it and there has been the odd situation where where it's been getting heavily criticised, and I think it's down to the fan or the general public or even the pundit amazingly enough not understanding that they can't it's not there just to go to every time yeah someone needs to see something that's not why it's there it's obviously there to clear up to see whether a referee is give uh, whether it's a clear and obvious error by the referee in certain situations um, and I think that needs to be maybe relayed out and made a bit more clear but there is situations where the people have said oh well why don't you just go to VAR like for example, there's been a foul on the halfway line, and then five minutes later, there's a goal, and they're going, "Well, oh, why didn't VAR give that? Yeah. Because it's not, it's not, it's not there for that." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If 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 they start, if VAR starts getting involved in decisions like that, we'd never finish a game. It'd be a five-hour game because it'd be going, it'd be getting you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It'd be getting used every time, every time the ball went out for a throwing. Hold on, yeah. wait there. The referees give it to Liverpool. Hold on, let's 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 get VAR <laughs> to check this. It's a throwing. It doesn't need to be used in that situation, and I think I think there is there is a little bit of maybe the fans not understanding it. But I mean, the, the worst VAR decision for me was the Tottenham Sheffield United game, where the Tottenham goal got disallowed and it got brought back for the Lucas Moura ball because yeah. not because not for its use, but just for it was, it was like whoever is sitting in that vet just first of all, <laughs> okay, yeah, he hasn't. That's not a handball because he got fouled. <laughs> Yeah, and, it's, and and the fact that Tottenham didn't get the free kick, it's like, well, what decision? Do you know what I mean? What, what, how, 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 and why? What, what decision are you actually giving here? So you stopped Tottenham scoring because Lucas Moran balled it, but how did Lucas Moran ball it? He didn't bring it down with his arm from a pass that he got fouled. <laughs> so this loud, so if anything, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What, what, do you know what I mean? It's like free. It should have been an advantage. Yeah, you, well, it's again, like an advantage. This is why in that situation it shouldn't have got. When you think, because the fans of VAR would go, well, like I said there, you, you you can't, the referee hasn't given the foul, so you can't overrule the referee for giving the foul in that situation because it's not sort of impacting the game. 
okay? Then they say, right, well, Kane's goal was disallowed because it was handball. But then when you look at the, you look at the, that can't be given as a handball because he was falling. Do you know, he's not in control. It's not like his hand is in sort of like an unnatural position where he's, he's, he's stopped it and things like, do you know what I mean? He stopped it. I mean, again, again, that, we're about to open another issue here, the handball rule, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we won't go down that route. But yeah, again, it, I, I always think of that because it's sort of two different situations. There's a Tottenham fans saying, well, we should have got a free kick because Lucas Moura was fouled. It's like, well, okay, yeah, but the referee didn't give it. Unfortunately, he can't, we can't, VAR can't intervene on every single re- decision that the re- referee doesn't give. And then obviously you've got the, the, the Sheffield United fans also, we want to handball. So Harry Kane's goal was rightly disallowed. Well, no, we ain't really a handball. But it's the fact that VAR did get involved and then still give the wrong decision. So again, it's it's a very, very confusing and wide-ranging issue VAR and for me the only way to do it they either strip it back completely and start again with it they introduce more usage of the monitors on the side of the pitch or hopefully UEFA and FIFA all get together and and give a news a news conference and go we've been winding years up for the last year we're not actually going to use it we just wanted to show how bad technology was in football <laughs> <laughs> and it was all yeah. a joke <laughs> <laughs> and you can let the game go back to normal. <laughs> that 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 would actually trigger a complete meltdown on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy theories, pro Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, VAR was definitely introduced to let Liverpool win the league title. Yeah, well, well I was going to go down that route, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, well, no. yeah. And I mean VAR is again another huge, huge podcast topic, but let's let's probably put a halt here. And we'll yeah. come to our next patron's question, Paul Siner, who's asked us I mean this season it's been Sheffield it's Sheffield United who's kind of the team which overachieved the most. They came from the championship, they finished up. I mean what a what a season for them, but Paul's yeah. question is who do you think would be the team to overachieve the most this coming season? Yeah, this is a tough, tough question. So when I looked at this, I thought, God, this could be. <laughs> it's. I think it all, I mean, it's a very good question to Paul, to be fair. So we'll have to thank him for that. But I think, I think again, it depends on how you measure overachievements for me. Do you, do you match it up to spend, net spend? There's a t- is a team... That finishes, who doesn't spend any money, but finishes in the top half. Do you class that as an overachievement? Yeah, let's, let, let's just say, yeah. let, let's, let's, just for the sake of this, uh, answering this question, let's just say that the team who kind of achieves more, despite, despite the money spent, let's, let's just nullify the money spent. But yeah. let, let's just say who finishes more or who's had the better season domestically. That let, Let's make, let's generalize it to that. Okay, well, I'm going to let you answer it first then. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is very hard. I mean, I, I I actually saw Paul's question and I was like, okay, I might just have to think, think. I mean, I thought and thought, but again, it's again a tough question, a tough answer. I mean, I, I seriously couldn't pick. I mean, I, I don't know, something uh, tells me that Sheffield United might not be able to do it again this season. Probably it was yeah. over season last year. And I have huge hopes for Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United, but I mean, I had similar hopes for Norwich City and Daniel Farca, but we saw what happened yeah. with them. So again, it's it's very hard until you see them playing, but just for the sake of saying, judging from what I've seen so far, I would probably 
put my money on uh, this is hard this is very hard but crystal palace maybe mm, interesting choice yeah it's it's a weird pick but yeah i feel it's probably the next step for them palace and the signings that they made now is a from qpr who they signed is a player who creates from the center who's a big threat again he's a different player so i mean hopefully wilfred zaha doesn't leave but and if he doesn't leave they now have two different dimensions as a from from the center zaha on the left so it's it's yeah. not one it's not one dimension anymore so they've kind of made a tricky and a really good sensible signing there so and they they had a really good push towards the end i mean they they were kind of pushing and at times you actually felt that yeah this palace team with a few more sensible additions could actually overachieve and kind of cause an upset so uh, that's why yeah. i think i would put my money on crystal palace yeah i'm going to go I, i still think it's slightly overachieved they were overachieved last season given how far they went in the europa league i think wolves now they finished 7th They finished seventh two years on the run now, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. So again, the first season was an overachievement. Uh, I thought they done really well. I thought last season, given the start that they had and the fact that they went so far in the Europa League and then still finished seventh, joint on points with Tottenham as well, only three points behind fifth place. Yeah. I thought that was over uh, an overachievement. So I'm going to go. I think Wolves. I think Wolves will improve on seventh place. which i think consider give give i will i think they'll break into the top 6 which i think will be consistent uh, it has to be con- considered an overachievement really again it's such a good question because if chelsea what do chelsea need to do to can be considered an overachievement do they have to win the league because of the plays that they've got or if they if they get into a title race if manchester united get into the title race and get amongst liverpool and manchester city for me that's overachieving overachievement for them Because I don't yes. expect them to do it. Yeah. If yes. uh, again Arsenal, I don't. I think we mentioned the other week. I know there's a lot of buzz around Arsenal at the minute. At the minute, won the FA Cup, won the Charity Shield. Obviously, he beat Man City in the semi-final. He beat Liverpool. He beat Liverpool in the league. So Arteta's got one up. Beat Klopp and Guardiola. There's a lot of momentum going there at the moment. But for me, over the course of the season, I don't think they get anywhere near the top four. I really don't with that team. think it needs to be vastly improved still but if he was to get in a top 4 that would be a massive overachievement for me Arsenal Arteta and Arsenal so but I just don't see them doing it but again if yeah. they get into the title if they get into the race for it considering where they finished is that an overachievement I think it is so but yeah. if I if I had to hang my hat on it I would say Wolves I think uh, the they're going even though I'm quite surprised this uh, they've sold Doty but I think Wolves I think Wolves will be the team again. I think they they'll make that next step up and I think that'll be overachieve an overachievement. Again, again now to if any of the top uh, if any if if Fulham were to stay up given how badly they went down the other year, is that an overachievement or but that's got surely got to be their aim, isn't it? I think overachievement has got to stand for so, obviously someone finishing way above their aim. So yeah. I think if any of the three three promoted teams were to finish in a top 10 that would be an overachievement i think if wolves were to I, break into I, the top 6 i think that would be an overachievement considering that they have only been it would only be the third 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 season in the premier league well i 
I think that's around. a bold. I think that's a bold prediction. I I probably wouldn't bet my money on that. <laughs> uh, what, I, Wolves I, I, breaking, Wolves yeah. breaking into the top six. Yeah, I I wouldn't bet my money on that this season. Really? I mean, yeah. Considering that how badly Leicester finished the season and they finished fifth. I I still feel I don't I I don't know why but I I still feel Mikel Arteta's Arsenal might finish sixth this season. Yeah. I, I, I can the, see the, I can see the normal top six coming back again. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think? No, I I think I think I think they'll. I don't think. Then I'm not. I am gonna refrain from saying normal top six because I don't buy into that. <laughs> yeah. Because as a normal top six, I think Wolves are as good as Arsenal and as good as Tottenham and equally. I think maybe Manchester United, given. The sign of Bruno Fernandes and Chelsea's signings this summer pushed them a little bit further ahead of them. But I think Wolves certainly belong at, in the same comments as Arsenal and Tottenham. So I think, I, I think I'm going to tip Wolves to overachieve and finish in the top six. Yeah, Let, we, we, yeah. We, we'll, we'll see all this travel this season. Yeah, <laughs> Nuno will be out by September. <laughs> Sam, Allardyce, <laughs> Sam Allardyce will be in keeping them up. <laughs> another another big Sam masterclass, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we will we'll move on to the next question now. Again, this is from Paul. This is, again, a very, very good question. I mean, we've definitely seen Bayern dominate their way to win this Champions League. But his question, his question is, who do you think is the best side ever to win the Champions League. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give my opinion first. Uh, if you don't yeah, go on. Far away, yeah. Far away, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'll just pick based on what I've seen. I mean, I, I wanted to see the old Champions League yeah, tournaments as well. I, I just wanted to watch yeah. the games. But I, I just haven't found the time for that. Also, because I'm, I'm a lazy ass at times. <laughs> so that's all down to me. But from what I've seen, I mean, I'll take from the 2007 maybe I mean 2005 yeah. was the first Champions League I ever watched I mean only the final but from 2007 I think I, I, I kind of become quite regular but for me it definitely has to be the 2009 Barcelona team I mean Ooh. it was it the 2011 also probably is like very very close for me very very close I would say but I just can't say no to that 2009 bus again it's very hard for me either 2009 2011 i would be fine with either of them that guardiola team is probably the best football team i've ever witnessed i've ever watched and i i think that's gonna be the best football team that i will definitely get to watch probably the next 10 years for sure i don't see anyone probably remotely coming close to that apart from maybe man city again guardiola but yeah i i that prop team was completely dominating and what I pretty much like about the 2011 game or the 2011 season from Barca was that to, in 2010 they lost in 2011 the final they played Pedro David Villa Messi up front yeah Pedro is I know I know this might probably divide opinions but for me Pedro isn't like the top 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 tier football player he's not yeah. world class He's, he's just below the world-class category. But that particular game showed what or why Pedro is so important to different managers. Especially the yeah. way Guardiola used him. Making yeah. those tricky runs, pulling players in. I mean, that's a really, really good performance. That was a really, really good performance from Pedro. 
that's why he 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 has played a lot of games for different clubs for, even yeah. for chelsea he was a major component so for me it has to be 2009 barca or 2011 barca yeah what about well, you again this was a great question when i see in this i mean i've given my age i've been quite fortunate the fact that i was around and and i can still remember when the Champions League got introduced. So I've actually had the privilege of remembering them all and remembering all the teams that have actually won them. So that, I think, that maybe makes the question probably a little bit more difficult for me because I, I was reanalyzing every single final in my head <laughs> and all the winners. I mean, I think what makes the question is, um, we're going to assume that he means, because he put, I think Paul put in the question, didn't he? Just cup. So I think we're going to assume that he means just the Champions League and not the European Cup because we wouldn't be able to answer that now. We would that we would need to, <laughs> we'd need to go away and think about that. But I think just on the Champions League, I'm gonna go with the 2011 Barcelona team uh, for being the best team to have won it because I think ev- everything just accumulated in that one final. I think the players individually uh, would just make the team. Now, I agree with you, the 2019 team had more high-profile individuals than the 2011 team, but the 2011 team was made up of it's players like Pedro that made that team what it was as well. They contributed just as much as your, your Dava Villiers and your Messi's because because how is exceptional movements, his eye for gold, his ability to press the ball. Uh, they're not the high pro, the most high-profile of player in that Barcelona team. When, or even compare them to, say, the Samuel Eto or the Thierry Henry from the 2019. But they still achieved the level that they did and the same level that they did in 2009. And for me, that final itself was just probably the best football and display I've ever seen. Now, it weren't the greatest of Man- Manchester United teams. It certainly weren't the best Man United team of this century. That would go down to the 2009 one, which why pr- probably people such as yourself would argue, well, yeah, the 2009 Barcelona team had a stronger opponent in the final than what the 2011 team did. But just the movements of that day, given the fact that Pep Guardiola was such a, a, it comes from that total total football philosophy. For me, that was the game in which he achieved more than what Cruyff did at Barcelona. That was, for me, the evolution and maybe even revolution of total football. Because for me, that was the best total football display a team has ever produced. More than Cruyff's team, more than the more than the Cruyff, uh, the Cruyff team he played in as a player. More, more than the, the Dutch 74, 78 teams, more than the the Dutch, the the early Ajax teams, uh, early early 70s Ajax. And that for me was just the, the, the most complete total football tiki taka, whatever you want to label it as, football display ever. But again, I think I think there's I think there's a couple of other teams that are definitely within worth a mention. I think the Ajax team of 1995, Louis van Gaal's team was. Just an extraordinary football team, and it would certainly, certainly run that Barcelona team close in what 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 they achieved, and some of the football that that team played, and some of the players, and how Van Gaal set them up tactically, and the way he made it such a team was just fantastic. And I think the Ajax team is my most favourite team. I remember it. I remember watching the game, the Champions League final against AC Milan. And even though the game itself wasn't great, it was a last-minute win it from Clive Earth. It just—it was just great seeing a team of that age and all those great individuals playing as a team and, and winning. 
and not, there might be some Man United fans that might listen to this or even some fans that go on oh, Louis van Gaal he didn't play attacking well this is the Louis van Gaal of the 90s which was completely different to the Louis van Gaal um, that took over Manchester United even though again going off topic they shouldn't have sacked them as early as they did they actually the club would have been a bit a better state if they would have kept them on for at least one more year but and the AC, I think another team that deserves mention is the AC Milan team that beat Barcelona 4-0 I advise anyone who wants to just see a complete demolition of a team go and watch that final on YouTube the whole 90 minutes of it was just a fantastic football on display and when I say football and I don't necessarily mean keen on the eye football don't get me wrong but by no means was it defensive or ultra defensive in any way AC Milan attacked Barcelona but they just destroyed them and and that was a very 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 good AC Milan team um, a team that went unbeaten in the league not that season but on the build up to it and had some fantastic players in it as well so I think just the Barcelona 2011 team I think the Barcelona 2009 team, uh, the AC Milan team and the Ajax team are definitely, definitely worth a shout as well. I couldn't argue with many people who voted for them or would vote for them. What about you, Riffway? Do you think of any, if you had to sort of go outside the Barcelona teams under Guardiola, what other teams would run it close in your opinion? Um, From what I've read about different teams before, oh, the, I- the teams, Ajax yeah. Yeah, the Ajax one, the Ajax one that Louis Van Hal won with. I mean, there are a lot of content out there written on that particular team, which yeah. from from reading that, I just feel that all right, this might have been like a really really amazing football team. Yeah, I just tr- watch the semi final against Bayern Munich. If you if you ever got a minute, go on yeah. YouTube or find a, a stream and watch the semi final against Bayern Munich, and they completely completely demolish them. And it, yeah. it, it, I remember at the time. Uh, I remember watching it with my dad at the time and me being like, oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but you sort of just sort of look out for like the big games at that point. I mean, the Champions League had to completely... It's hard as well because the Champions League is sort of... What also needs to be noted as well, the Champions League has gone through different formats. So maybe it has been harder to win at different times given the format that it was under at that time. But obviously we, we won't go that indefinite and we'll just think about the teams. But yeah, go on, carry on. If you if you get a chance watching against Bayern Munich in the semi final that year, but go and carry on, mate. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. And from what I watched, other than the two Barcelona sides, again, it's very hard to pick because Madrid won three in a row. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, all those three teams, I felt I know they were strong, but I felt someone else could have also kind of won. Yeah. It, I yeah, mean, I pro- totally pro- agree with that. Yeah. Pro- probably Bayern Munich had a good chance again when when yeah. Real won all the three years. Atletico Madrid were very close again. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't call that that particular team the best. Um, again, it's it's very hard. It's very hard again. Maybe yeah. from what I watched, I think the second team, other than the two Barcelonas, two thousand nine and two thousand eleven. I would probably go with the two in 2013 Bayern Munich. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely the- yeah. That's that's definitely the team that comes on to my mind because the two years before, I mean, I, and the, the way that they won as well because Klopp's Dortmund won the league in 2011 and 2012, two years in a row. Yeah. And in 2013, Bayern reclaimed back the league title and to win that Champions League final over Klopp's Dortmund probably was more sweet for them. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's what makes the question so intriguing as well, so good uh, to answer because 
as you know yourself, being a Liverpool fan, I, I mean, I mean, even Liverpool's, even the 2019 Liverpool team, I mean, that did that crossed my mind. I mean, to 97 points and then to win the Champions League in in the way they they did. Uh, obviously, I don't think it was quite the team that the teams that I've mentioned, but it's also, it, it comes into consideration when you think about how they won it. But again, going back to what I was saying, sorry, got caught off track again there. Um, you don't have to be the best team in Europe to win the Champions League. And that's what makes the, that's what makes the competition so exciting. I mean, you can think of Liverpool in 2005, for example, or the Chelsea team in um, 2012, who weren't even sort of, if you, if you want to go off the, off the league performances, weren't even the best teams in their sort of cities that year. But they, they, still, they, they still performed fantastically in the Champions League to actually go on and win it. And you, you mentioned the Real Madrid team there. I, I'm a fully agree fully agree with you. It's an incredible achievement to win three on the run and you can't take anything away from Real Madrid or Zinedine Zidane uh, for those achievements. But for me, they, they, I was never confident that they were going to win each tie as they went through. They sort of just done enough to, to, to scrape through. I don't know if you got the similar feeling, but I, th- I thought your point—the yeah. point you made regarding that team—was just sort of they just didn't—they were like the perfect knockout team as opposed to a great team. They—they they, yeah. they, they, just knew how to get through tie by tie. Uh, I think that was the feeling I got with them. It was—it was quite similar, uh, quite similar to what Liverpool done in 2005, where you knew by all by all it weren't a great team. It was, I mean, if you want to compare it to other Liverpool teams, it was quite poor 2005 one, but. Rafa Benitez and the way he knew how he set up a team, he just knew how to get through each tie, and he'd done what he had to do. And, yep. and if you if you if you do that in, in a knockout tournament, you will go quite far. So yeah, I think I wanted I wanted I, I so wanted to pick up some other team other than the uh, other than Barcelona 2011, but I don't think I don't think anyone could actually argue that. I think if, if you had to have a checklist, they would tick all boxes in terms of individuals. Team brilliance, performance in the final, performances to get to the final, and attractive football being played, and the manner in which they won it, they would tick every box. Exactly, yeah. and, and the the reason why I, I I just kind of had the 2009 side was because in the final, I mean the 2009 Manchester United team which played in the final, I think was considerably better than the 2011 yeah. team. And Absolutely, yeah. Other than that, it, if you look at, I don't know if you looked at the team who played, but Carlos Puyol played as a right back, Yaya Toure as a centre back, I guess. <laughs> I, I, yeah, at least it, start, it, it just started that way at least, and that the way Guardiola kind of beat that team was was pretty much incredible. I know the front three is really good, the midfield three again, Sergio Busquets definitely wasn't like a great or very much appreciate, appreciated no, player that like was he a, is today. Yeah, yeah, that was the first, his first full season in, exactly. in the first team. Exactly. He only and got introduced because of Guardiola. Yeah. And and that, that's one of that's part of the reason why Yaya Toure couldn't find a place in the midfield and had yeah. to be happy with yeah. the centre back So yeah, that, that that's particularly why why I think like they kind of edge it for me. And also the sex couple. So yeah. 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 And and I mean coming coming on to the next question from Dieter. Uh we, we touched upon the format that the Champions League again, the knockout it's a knockout tournament and that's that's why the the thrill, the excitement, the luck involved, and also the surprises that we see, that, that makes the Champions League special from anything else. And that's why probably we say that it's it is probably very hard to win. Ask Pep Guardiola, 
I mean, since he's left oh, Barcelona, yeah. obviously, you, you can definitely ask him. It, it, it's just a matter of luck at times. It's just a matter of one mistake at times, which might cost you a whole tie or a whole game or a whole tournament. So it's very hard. But this season, we saw due to the pandemic, the Champions League getting cut off to a single leg knockout phase after the restart. So yeah. do you think, I mean, the detailed question basically is, do you think the same format should be kept in the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned it yourself. But I think I think the format's been great since since the restart. I think the way they've done it has been really entertaining. I think it's engaged fans a lot more because you know it's going to be over there and then on the night, and that's not because all oh, the second legs aren't entertaining. I just in some in some situations that is the case because if a team easily wins the first leg. Then you sort of know, uh, you know the second leg's over unless you're Barcelona because they make a habit of getting beaten the second leg and going out. But I think it makes it a lot more entertainment. I would like to see, I would like to to see keep the the same formats. I think the TV money rights deal will probably put an end to that and confirm that, or not confirm, it, see it that it won't stay in its current format because. They'll get less matches, won't they? Uh, I suppose that's just looking at it from a, a logical perspective. But I, I would love to see it keep its same format. What about um, yourself? I mean, I, I would also definitely love to have it in the same two leg ties. I mean, two reasons: one, more number of games, more excitement, more money. Yeah. Obviously, you look at the both sides of the coin. And another thing, with the home away element, I think the home away element people complain about the away goals pay, playing a part. Obviously, I can hear them. It's 2020. Okay, it's fair. But for me, the home and away ties actually represent a kind of fan influence in the game. Because when you play at home, the atmosphere definitely transfers. Definitely being a Liverpool fan, the Anfield atmosphere probably is one of the best ever. I won't say the best atmosphere in Europe, but definitely one of the best. And it definitely plays a part. We saw that last season when Liverpool yeah. beat Barcelona. So it definitely plays a huge part. And that's why I think the home away tie should be kept as such. Yeah, the away goal rule probably might be, you know, a bit uh, controversial or no, what you would say. Yeah. Not, not perfect. Not I, I would say it's not perfect, but... Again, that's what makes the competition even even more exciting. Yeah, of course it does. I would. I mean, I think they're gonna they're gonna proceed with the the, the normal formats, and I think the away goal they should definitely keep the away goal rule because it yeah. just adds. It makes people maybe have to change tactically, and it brings different elements into someone's game, uh, and it brings that little bit more of unpredictable again makes it that little bit more unpredictable sometimes in certain games or certain games could be considered to be over already if the away goal went didn't stand but the fact that someone has got that one away goal and you think oh they just it just makes it that little bit more intriguing i think but and i mean going back to the original question i mean it'll, it'll be it probably i think for me the champions league as an everton fan the champions league I, i'm a neutral for the champions league so i don't i don't get to be <laughs> yeah yeah Jerry, i'm not as i i haven't got i'm not as passionately involved and i get to see it completely from a neutral perspective so yeah. I, I suppose the question's a little bit different for me because I've not been. I don't support a team that's going to get to the knockout stages anytime soon. So <laughs> I, I, it'd be great to see if other people could answer the question. Maybe you get a, you get a set of neutral fans and see their opinion compared to the the fans who support yeah. the teams that are actually in it. Because I I reckon maybe if I, I 
maybe if Everton were in it, maybe my my answer would be a little bit different. Maybe it'd be similar to yours because I'd want a two-legged. I'd want at least one leg to be at Goodison. <laughs> do you yeah. get do you get what I mean? Yeah. So may, maybe that would maybe that maybe that would change my answer if it, if it was actually realistically possible for Everton to be in it. But yeah, I think from a neutral perspective, the one-legged games has de- definitely been more entertaining. But then to switch it on its head again it's not going to be held in one country every year so yeah. you would be incre- you could be you could support that team who gets drawn away for three knockout rounds <laughs> and Dereed doesn't get a home tie so you would be you, you'd be on the unlucky side then and I suppose that you're always going to have that argument and then well if we were at home we would have pulled it round we, we would have turned it round so I definitely don't think it will happen but yeah. you know yeah. good question anyway yeah it's a really good question <laughs> all, all, all the questions so far has been really good and yeah. it's, it's been tough I mean I, I definitely had to think a lot it's, it's a festival here today and tomorrow local festival despite that I mean I, I just uh, kind of looked at all the questions today morning and I was thinking okay this is really good probably I'll have to spend like 20-30 minutes thinking what what I should tell in the podcast and I think a couple of answers definitely the one which where we talked about the overachieving team the prediction for that it's definitely something yeah. that I just thought of right now because I couldn't think of a proper answer it's, it's like a really good question again and yeah of course yeah. it is yeah yeah and the final question for this podcast is again from Paul Siner our special one patron and the final question from him is about Barcelona the issue at Barcelona yeah. I mean it's again a different podcast but we'll just be we'll just sum it up briefly and I, I think yeah. it's more it's more over talking about the team the team that plays on the pitch I mean they have a lot of 30 year olds right now what do you think probably should be the next policy and also including La Masia who who like they pretty much underused or La Masia probably has kind of gone down in terms of levels as well so what's your whole take on that Chris? Uh, I mean again this might seem a little bit obvious what I'm about to say or maybe it's a, a lot easier said than done but first of all they have to get a good sporting director in or a director of football or whatever way you want to title it and they have to oversee the whole club now I know Paul's putting his question do, do you think they should go and spend money or do you think they should develop youth well, to answer that in short that they need, they need, they need at the moment they need to do both they need to put a, a sporting plan in place Barcelona because as we've mentioned on our podcast with Michael uh, a couple of weeks back a couple of weeks back and I, as we've mentioned speaking of our WhatsApp group I mean the club is a complete and utter mess there is no plan in place there's a lot of political issues that they need to just let them go on because they don't think they're going to be solved they need to get a football and plan in place and I think they have to out of principle uh, allow more youth players to play and get given an opportunity um, they have to be better with their signings and decide and they will have to spend more money they will have to spend more money uh, but they will have to have some kind of plan in place on what type of player they go out and what have to put a strategy in place whether it's like Liverpool's whether it's like I know most teams now insist on buying under 23 players and then developing them whatever plan they have to put some kind of plan that is going to enable them to keep building now for the next two to three four five years but as well and this may come I think they need to are they going to stick with this philosophy now they're quite strict with that every football every football manager that comes into the club has to play a the philosophy that Johan Cruyff set at the club that's great that is that is fantastic 
if they want to do that, then they need to they need the, they need to appoint a manager that first of all believes in the principles of it, but doesn't actually try and see it through. Has to be able to tweak it to suit modern day football. Now, I, I don't know if I've just answered that very well, Rafael. I don't know if you quite understand what I mean. For example, they appointed Kike Setien because his team, Israel Betis team, loves to pass the ball around and it is very very again. I hate the team a very tikka type of football but for me it was too tikka the way they were playing they can't just they can't just appoint a manager because he, he instructs his team to pass it everywhere there was absolutely no purpose for me no purpose to their football and how they played under that manager so they have to they have to decide whether this philosophy uh, that they're gonna that they love and uh, they embody and they they believe what Barcelona is all about is going to be used going forward. Guardiola, if you if you look at Guardiola's Barcelona team, they didn't play the same way as Cruyff's team. They they, they played with the same pr- principles that Cruyff's team played with, but he evolved it. He evolved it to suit the players. They he changed formations to suit modern day football and that's why they were so successful and they had the impact that they did they didn't they, he improved it if I'm honest they improved it on. he improved Johan Cruyff's philosophy you will, you will never get him admitting that because he will always believe that Cruyff is the he built the cathedral as, they, as everyone else is just maintaining it as they say but they need to they need to decide if they're going to go with that philosophy, then be, be strict to it, but allow a manager, appoint a manager that is actually going to build on it, as opposed to just doing what they've done. I, I, I apologise to Paul for the sort of long answer, but I mean, Barcelona, the state that is in at the moment, the question of how they get, how they improve on this. I mean, there's so many answers to it, to that question. They need to get a, a good, recognised sport and director in place. Not, not necessarily someone who knows the club. That's not going to solve anything unless, like, it was clear Eric Abadal, Abadal weren't the right man in place. Whether they give him that role out of sentiments because of the the illness that he had, that's great. Give him some, give him support him as an individual off the field by all means. That's great, but don't make him in charge of your sport and plan when he's clearly not qualified to do the job. And it doesn't have to be someone that knows the club, because I know they've had Zubi Zareta before. And again, same same with the appointment of Ronald Koeman as manager. That doesn't answer or tick all the boxes. Oh, he knows the club. But you don't want anyone that knows the club in the current state. You want someone who's going to take the club out of the mess that it's in. So they need to, they need to sort of separate that issue. Appoint a manager that, yeah, might believe in the philosophy that Barcelona stands for, but is actually good enough to evolve that philosophy they need to put a director of football who's actually good at his job okay and then going beyond that yeah the plan in place they will they do need to put more money to it but they need to put money money to it just to have the right blend put make clever signings for positions that they need and like for example i i love anton griezmann as a player but i can't for the life of me think why they bought him I really can't. I, I don't see how he even suits that style of play that that manager had or even suits the style of play that the club believes in. I really don't. And I think that it's not it's not a surprise that that transfer has, has not gone well, not because of him as an individual player, because he's, he, he, he's, he's a fantastic footballer, a fantastic player. But they seem to just be going out and getting players because of the name rather than the actual how they're going to fit in. Um, so... 
I apologise for me long-winded answer to Paul. It's a very good question. Fantastic. But there's so many different answers to the question. I hope I've covered them all, but they need to, to make it a principle that they're going to introduce some youth players. Because there is youth players in that club who I've read about over the years and who other players of other coaches at the club and saw different sources of the club have felt highly, who've been highly regarded. But you don't see them in a team anymore. So they need to get the, the the right blend. That doesn't mean just because you, you don't have to go out all out and say right, all eleven players have to be from uh, La Masia and they all have to be under the age of twenty one. But just be clever about it. Still add quality if you want to go out. If a certain player is available to suit your plan and suit your style, then go out and buy him. But there's, there's, but you don't have to do that for every player. It's where over over the last over we mentioned the other week. I mean the club. The club itself has always been a political mess, in my opinion, certainly for the best part of this century. I think that that's a given with that, but they're actually starting to lose the weight on the field now. And maybe they have to, I don't think they can afford not to be in a Champions League, but someone has to come in somewhere and say to a manager, whether that manager is Ronald Koeman, I don't know, right, we're going to give you a 12-month period here where we allow you to rebuild and we're not going to sack you if you don't win the Champions League. We're not going to sack you if you don't win the league. We're not going to get sacked yeah, if you get beat by Real Madrid. We're going to give you 12 months to get this in plan in place. But it doesn't, at the minute, they just need to do, I think, everything that I've said. Get a manager that, again, I've probably repeated myself and I apologise for that, but you need to get a manager that believes believes in the principles of the club's philosophy. He can evolve on it and build on it. And you get a sporting director that works well with the manager who believes, who knows a good one, doesn't necessarily have to have a tie to the club, but a good one that can go out and identify players, um, identify players around Europe and actually bring the youth product through because the club is on a slow, it will actually even decline even more soon and they will start dropping down a league. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to stretch it again like uh, you basically touched on a lot of things. I, I also have a lot of things because this is a huge, huge topic again, the mess that Barcelona is in at right now from a political point of view, from the board point of view. Joseph Maria Bartomeu himself is a huge, huge topic. The Lionel Messi saga, the things happening in the team with Luis Suarez, Gerard Piquet, what's good for the team, Ronald Koeman's appointment, the players they're even linked with right now, the likes of Jorginho Wijnaldum. I mean, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I can probably rant. I'm not a Barcelona fan. I'm not a Barcelona fan, but I can probably rant on about 15 to 20 minutes about what's happening there, like a Barca fan, because it's absolutely, I mean, shattering seeing as a neutral, because the club has been playing so well on the field despite all the issues outside for the last, for the best part of the last uh, two decades, I guess, but. This is probably surreal, what's happening, especially the the saga which which surrounds Lionel Messi right now. The best player that Barcelona football clubs ever had. I mean, it's a complete mess, but I'll, I'll just stick to Paul's question here. And I'll just come to La Masia here, where La Masia used to be a proper, proper academy, proper, proper place. And I think, I mean, probably I, I, I was young, but I, I just thought La Masia was the best academy in the world, I mean, apart from the Ajax Academy, of course, but it has yeah. changed massively in the last few years. And 
you have players like Takfusa Kubo, Japanese international, uh, who's, who's, who's very, very talented, who, who has huge potential. He moved to Real Madrid and Madrid have, have loaned him to Mallorca. I think, I don't know who, who's, who is going to play this season. Is it Villarreal under Unai Emery? I, I guess so. And yeah. you have players like Kubo who, who wants to move out because he thinks he is not going to get a chance for the first team. He's not going to get enough time. You saw the same thing with players like Sergi Samper. I know he had injuries, but again, he's shipped to Japan. Probably he might not have been good enough, yeah. but again, that's a different question. That's not what we saw with young players before. And that's not what we saw at La Masia yeah. before. And you have players like Carlos Alena, who's, who's, who's really talented again. I think he's also not got a huge future at Barca. They have Ricky Puig and Ansu Fati right now, two La Masia talents. And I think if they don't get their things right on the pitch, if Ronald Koeman comes in, he doesn't get the team to click and he wants his own signings and he doesn't give these two youngsters enough chances. Again, they're going to lose two players who are top, top draw, top, top amazing talents produced from the La Masia Academy to somewhere else. I don't know if they'll click in the future yeah. or not, but from what I've seen so far, Ricky Puig definitely, definitely gets into the Barcelona squad for a match day for me. Because I, I, definitely, yeah. I would definitely give him a chance over the likes of Arturo Vidal or Ivan Rakitic because they've got too many chances. They've shown that they're declining. I mean, it's time to give these players a chance as well right now because they have yeah. the talent. And you, Coach if you Rage, don't yeah. play, if you don't play the young players, there, there's no point in having a youth academy. There's absolutely no point apart no. from making profits. And when you get players like, definitely Ansu Fati is going to be part of the plan based on what we've seen this season. But I, I'm just clearly talking about Ricky Puig, who's I know a lot of Barcelona fans have spoken to them. We have two. With us in the Nutmega Sisters, Palamlan and Sudesh. Yeah. And they've also been continuously ranting about the fact that Ricky Puig hasn't got enough minutes. I know Kike Setien kind of brought him in. Uh, Ernesto Valverde did not. And Setien, again, too much tiki-taka, like you said, too much passing, yeah. overdoing stuff. And finally, he lost it all. And that's why he lost the job. And again, all messed down to Barcelona. With Ronald Koeman, yeah. the, play, the players he's interested in, Ginny Wijnaldum, Memphis Depay, I don't know if this, this, these are these are going to be good additions. I really doubt. I really doubt the Wijnaldum signing. I know Wijnaldum works well for Liverpool because that's the way Liverpool play. And that's what Klopp asks Wijnaldum to do. And that's why he's so good in that particular role. Is that what Barcelona and Ronald Koeman wants? I don't think so. Yeah. And, and he's 30. Uh, and he's 30 yeah. again. And what, yeah. what, what, what's, what's all with signing th- players who are 30 and over. W- what's this weird policy of signing and making Barcelona look like an old age home? It, it doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's the same with, I mean, Pjanic. Pjanic is on yeah. as well. I mean, that, I mean, that transfer as well, it's, again, is it, is it an incredible talent of footballer, but what, what is the long-term plan here? And I think that stems from not having any kind of direction of the field again in short term it's great but a transfer strategy or actually just general overall football strategy plan at the club and just like I said these players are going to come in now but I'm I'm just really surprised Ronald Koeman took the job really am well I'm not because like I said I don't think the man look at the amount of clubs he's managed the man hasn't really got a loyal bone in his body 
considering that he's just give up his national team job a year before a major tournament to take over a job that he probably knows he's only going to be in for one year maximum so but again the, the club so they're going to allow him to go and sign players like this and then next summer when the elections happen and someone else comes in and appoints their own manager they're going to be left with all these players so they shouldn't they need a, they need a sport and director in place again and they need someone who has not got a connection to the club who's going to come who's going to come in and say all right yeah, we've got this history and you've got this and you've got that but I've not been part of that. We're going to do it this way. And obviously he's going to adhere to the principles of the club and the principles of the philosophy. That's fine. But he needs to be, have a do it with a clear mind and a clear a clear mindset of we're doing this because he's a good player and he's worth the investments and we can build a team around that and he suits this style and he suits this system, etc. As opposed to, all right, I'm coming in. I'm going to... Oh, we're Barcelona and we buy big players and I love the club and it is completely basically compromised by his love for the club it's a familiar theme that you see at many clubs around the world even like lower ones I mean I've seen it at Everton a few times where they've wanted managers in because oh right because he used to play for the team or he used to play for the club and it's like well hold on it doesn't I mean we've had an owner Bill Kenwright who oh yeah but he loves the club but actually a familiar one now is Tom Davis a lot of Everton fans believe that we should keep him and he should be uh, he should be used because he loves the club and it's like well yeah well that's great but is he is he good enough is he good enough to do the job and the answer is no and it's the same with Barcelona at the moment they should be sporting director does he have a connection with the club no is he good enough to do this and take us forward and get a grip of this mess? Yes, let's get him in then. Yeah, and and it's it's quite uh, <laughs> ironical or funny the way that we've come from the beginning of this podcast, touching from Chelsea, a club who's <laughs> like having one of the best transfer windows ever for a football team, to a club who's like going down the gutter right now. I, I would probably put it that way. I mean, sorry, Barcelona fans, I know you might you guys might agree with me here. It's probably going down the gutter all the way right now, and it's pretty sad to see. But that's the way it is. Probably, yeah. We, we might do another podcast where we we, we just go on a full on rant and about what Barcelona is at. But for this episode, this is it. And thank you once again to all both the patrons that we have, Paul Siner and Dieter Van Gogh, who's kind of given us some really really good topics to discuss. I mean, it was a pleasure and most importantly, it was very much thought-provoking as well, isn't it? Yeah, great questions, yeah. Thank you very much, guys, for the questions. Really good, yeah. really good uh, detailed questions uh, and I hope the answers were good enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and whatever predictions we've given, especially I will definitely remember the Bulls prediction that Chris gave and I'll also remember <laughs> my prediction on the Crystal Palace one. But let's yeah. see how it pans out. So, that that is up with this episode and thank you to all our listeners once again for tuning into this episode like usual you guys make us do even more you guys push us to do even better content thank you so much once again until the next episode it's me this weekend chris signing off